The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please go to my host page at Voice America. You'll find all your favorite ways to connect there. And please add yourself to my email list to receive my newsletter, news of upcoming shows. And I can also send you a Deepak Chopra meditation, uh, four or five minute meditation that my guest Gary Malkin offered to my listeners. Today I'm welcoming Terry Wingham. A breast cancer diagnosis at the age of 30 changed everything for Terry. Inspired by the isolation and depression she felt when treatment ended, Terry left her corporate job in 2011 and packed her bags for a volunteer trip in Africa. Since then, she's lived out of her suitcase so she can build the Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation. She loves helping other cancer patients and survivors discover fresh possibilities, purpose, and connection in their lives through volunteer programs and bucket list adventures. Terry is a daughter, sister, friend, travel junkie, global volunteer, motivational speaker, wine lover, photographer, and writer. Although cancer may be part of her story, it's far from the whole story. And you can find more about her at www.afreshchapter.com. Terry, welcome to Good Grief. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. Oh, you're so welcome. Okay, corporate job to Africa. That's a huge uh, paradigm shift, yeah? Yeah, it's a giant paradigm shift and one that I never would have anticipated myself making before the diagnosis of breast cancer. So you didn't have a pre-existing interest for, passion about, uh, connection with Africa? I didn't. I, I'd always loved to travel. And then when I was working in my corporate job, I just didn't get more than about a week vacation at a time. And so I scratched off exotic travel from my list, and I figured it was something I might pursue later. But it wasn't a pressing desire. So then uh, you, you finished your treatment, and that's what came to your mind to do. I know, Is that I how it happened? <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little bit crazy. <laughs> no, no, not to me, but, <laughs> but worth talking but, about for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was... You know what? It really came out of this dark period I experienced post-treatment. I had been diagnosed at the age of 30, had a wealth of support from family and friends who did everything they could to help make my three surgeries and my four rounds of chemotherapy more bearable. And I think nearing the end of that, 
journey, for lack of a better, better word, I think the people in my life were burnt out of being caregivers, and I can't say that I blame them. And they also didn't understand, nor did I understand, the challenges that some of us face when treatment ends and everybody expects us to go back to normal. And I struggled with this real period of darkness that I couldn't understand or really make sense of, and I just knew that I didn't want to stay depressed. And so I was on this long walk by the seawall in Vancouver, where I was living at the time, and I just started thinking about how I wanted to feel inspired instead of depressed. And I really asked myself the question, it was New Year's Day, 2011, and I asked myself the question, what could I do that would make me feel inspired again? And it better be epic, because I can't imagine (laughs) ever being inspired again. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, this idea of volunteering in Africa began to take hold in my mind. And it was almost an out-of-body experience where, you know, I was was having this conversation with myself, like, truly, you want to go to Africa? Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. But it really struck a chord with me, and I started to feel excited for the first time since I'd been sick. So I took that as a good sign, and I started moving in the direction of making it a reality. You know, I'm very interested in that uh, for lots of reasons, but one of them is I find that that is a very... um, a, a pattern you can almost expect that after treatment, that's when you c- kind of tend to hit the emotional skids a little bit more. Have you found that with other people you've worked with? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this area of emerging area of survivorship is a relatively new area. Um, you know, years and years ago and in many other countries in the world, people don't survive cancer. And here we are in 2014 and... You know, we have upwards of 13 million cancer survivors in the U.S., and by 2022, we're going to have 18 million. And so there's this huge growth of people who struggle with what happens when you face your mortality and you don't know if your life will ever be the same or you don't know if you'll survive, and all you're focused on is the fight. So all you're focused on is treatment and surgery and getting through it. And you don't really focus too much, or at least I didn't focus too much on the future, because when I looked to the future, I just saw more treatment, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to think about all of that. And so I just focused on getting through the day, but I, in my head, I thought, oh, when it's over, I'll celebrate, and I'll feel better, and I'll be excited. And yet, when it was over, I just felt lost. You know, I no longer had treatment marking my calendar, and... I didn't feel strong yet. I felt physically depleted. I felt emotionally scared and overwhelmed because I suddenly was faced with, what if the cancer comes back? Um, I think a lot of people struggle with that fear of recurrence, a sense of isolation, because when you've had something like cancer come into your life, you can't pretend that it hasn't, and you can't go back to this naive person that you were who didn't have the same degrees of degree of fear. And so it's a, it's a complicated stage that everybody faces differently, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of us struggle with survivor guilt, isolation, depression, fear of recurrence, and just overwhelm with getting back to whatever normal is supposed to be. The other thing that comes to my mind is that you know, most people that go through treatment pretty much quit at everything for that period of time, which mm-hmm. also makes it really clear that 
everything goes on. You know, whatever you were investing, it sounds like you were a pretty high achiever, uh, you know, very corporate, um, and yet you were you left that <laughs> for this mm-hmm. period of time, and mm-hmm. you didn't actually need to be doing that. Someone else did it, yeah? Um, yeah, it was... It, that part is really interesting because I left my job. I was a headhunter with a technology uh, recruitment company, and I worked crazy hours, and it was high stress, but I left it. I helped place people into jobs, and it was really rewarding. But I really felt this giant sense of obligation that I could never leave my candidates, and I could never leave the people whose careers that I had to take care of. And then all of a sudden, I got sick, and my oncologist a very smart, smart woman, and she could tell that I was, you know, an overachiever and a perfectionist and uh, worked in a stressful environment. And so she basically said to me, look, you're not going to work when you're sick, and I don't want you to work for two to six months after you finish treatment. And instead of feeling relieved, I felt scared, you know, like, mm-hmm. who am I if I'm not this corporate recruiter? And so I had this identity crisis at the outset of being sick and I, you know, was, instead of being labeled successful recruiter, I was suddenly labeled patient and I had to learn how to be in that world. Mm-hmm. But then as I was in that world for longer and I realized what it felt like to not carry the stresses of 300 candidates and their careers on my shoulders, suddenly I felt like, oh gosh, this is so nice to not have all of that stress. Maybe I don't want to go back. But then it was so incredibly terrifying because if I wasn't going to go back, then what was it going to do? So and I feel a great like big vacuum, huh? There is. There's this huge vacuum. And I think there's a lot of pressure uh, sometimes for people to have this light bulb moment and this grand awakening when they go through something like this and to suddenly set off to change the world. And that's a lot of pressure because for some of us, just getting through a day is all we can manage. And so trying to navigate through those uncharted waters can be difficult. And I think it's, I think it's further compounded because many people don't understand this emotional aftermath. And so for many patients and survivors, they don't get the support that they need because people don't understand that they still need to be supported because they look healthier and they're that still it's alive. Not over. And so yeah. therefore... Everything should be great, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm also very uh, drawn by the fact that what you did first was there was service involved, and it was for you. You didn't immediately go out and and you know bring a bunch of people with you and all that. <laughs> you kind no. of took care of yourself first. Is that how it felt to you? Absolutely. I think. You know, I, I wanted something bigger than cancer to be the most recent story in my life. I was so tired of going to, you know, barbecues or people's houses or seeing old uh, colleagues and getting that sympathetic look in people's eyes where they would say, you know, how are you? And mm-hmm. is the cancer gone? And there would be this awkward head tilt and the pity. And I was so tired of that. I just didn't want cancer to be my story. And so this dream of volunteering in Africa fulfilled a longing for a greater purpose and I wanted to give back and I didn't want to just go on a trip, but I also wanted an experience that that was only mine and where when I was in that experience, people didn't 
think of me as a cancer patient or a corporate recruiter. I had this, you know, I was lucky I got to go for 10 weeks and I had this period where I could really think about who am I now and what matters to me now and who do I want to be in the world. And I couldn't have brought people with me or thought about starting the foundation at that point. Mm -hmm. I was still trying to heal and discover what mattered and, and what I wanted in my life. Can you tell me a couple of the things that happened on that trip that you, you're you saying you needed to heal, and I'm assuming given what happened next that you did find some healing on that trip? I did. I um, did. What do you think it was? What kinds of experiences did you have on the trip that nourished you in that way? I think when you go overseas and you do a volunteer program, um, there might be this belief that you're going to go and it's going to rock your world and everything's going to make sense right after. Um, but it doesn't. It's, you know, when you volunteer, it's very vulnerability-inducing. Suddenly, you know, I was working in an underfunded daycare with one- to three-year-old toddlers, and I don't have a, an early childhood education background. But I was there simply to support the local staff. Um, we work with a with a partner out of New York that does international volunteering very well. And I was there to give extra love to the kids and to, to be present with them and to help be an extra set of hands with, you know, feeding and playing with the kids and teaching them some basic English. But I felt really out of my element. So I got mm-hmm. there thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to change the world. And, you know, day three or four, I'm thinking, wow, I'm such a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the irony is by putting myself farther out of my comfort zone than I'd ever been, I was reminded that I was still strong and that cancer hadn't taken that away from me and that I could be in situations that were vulnerability inducing in the same way that cancer is, but I could be in them and I could get through it and I could learn as I went. And so when when I say that the experience healed me, it was really healing on multiple levels, healing on this, in the sense that I got to believe in myself again. I got to believe in my ability to get on a plane and go to the other side of the world. And I was no longer restricted to a two-block radius mm. around my apartment because I was too weak. And so I felt this huge sense of accomplishment. But then when I got to spend time with these kids, I started to realize that they didn't care that I'd had cancer. That was irrelevant to them. They just wanted me to help them eat their breakfast or play blocks with them or, or feed them lunch. And suddenly I started to see myself not as the victim of the disease, but as someone who still had the ability to, to create a positive impact on somebody's life. And I feel like that opportunity compounded or in conjunction with meeting these other volunteers who came from all over North America. They weren't cancer survivors, but they were all searching for something and seeking more purpose in their lives. And they had no expectations of me to be anyone other than who I was in the moment. And then this opportunity to have this big shift in perspective where, you know, I'd I'd been feeling really sorry for myself and I'd been through a really grueling and challenging time and I don't minimize that. And I especially don't minimize that for people who are still in treatment and who may be, be dealing with metastatic disease. Um, but I was able to, for the first time, get out of my story and to see the world with fresh eyes and to be able to realize that struggle is universal. And I'm not the only one that's been through loss. And so that 
perspective change to help me help me put cancer into perspective and help me see that it was part of my story, but it wasn't my whole story. And there's so many more stories I could tell you about how yeah, well, changed we have me, some but... more time, so we may get to some of them. Okay. But um, what what sort of stood out to me there is you didn't want other people to be just looking at you as cancer, but it sounds as if going on the trip changed you looking at yourself as just that experience. Absolutely. Uh, that that you saw your saw who you were beyond that. Maybe maybe perhaps a little bit more deeply than even before cancer. Would Absolutely. that be true to say? Absolutely. And that there's some real capacity for connection that you found in yourself. Um, the way you're yeah. talking about those little little tykes, uh, <laughs> you know, is is about connection. Uh, human to human, yeah? It really is. And, you know, um, I don't know if I have time to tell a little story right now, but if not, we can come back to it. We have just a couple of minutes, so I think we have enough time. So one of the most powerful experiences of my entire time in, in Africa was on the anniversary of my double mastectomy. And I was feeling really depressed, even though I was there. I was feeling emotional, and I didn't want to go to my volunteer placement that day. And I went anyway, and I had this true sense of connection with this little two-year-old who, was, who had eaten something and had a, what they politely call a running stomach, but he'd sort of made a mess all over himself, and there was no one there to clean him up. And so I did it. I took him into this you know, little tiny bathroom in this shed-like structure and cleaned him up with cold water, and he had no towel, and so... I, I held him and I took him out into the sunlight and he, like, teeth shivering. He sort of dried sitting on my lap. And I found him some some clothes to get him dressed into and I put him on one of the gym mats where he was having a nap. And everything there was really, really basic, but um, I found some clothes and I found a wool blanket. And when I when I covered him up, um, he looked at me, and I've, I've told this story before, and it can still bring me to tears. He, he looked at me with such gratitude in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And even though we had no shared language, I could feel how grateful he was. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of the year before when I'd been so scared to have my double mastectomy. And there was a nurse who I couldn't see because she was fully gowned and she had a mask on her face. But I remembered her eyes and the warmth and mm-hmm. sweetness in those eyes and the gratitude I felt for her. And it just really made me see that power of human connection and the power it has to heal us. Often with yeah. these interactions that last only minutes or we don't know that person's name or we don't speak their language. But that connection is such a powerful healing force. Mm. Now it is time for a break. That's such a beautiful story. During the break, please be sure to go to the Good Grief host page at Voice America and to find out more about Terry Wingham and A Fresh Alliance, A Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation, go to www.afreshchapter.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. You can sign up there to receive show show notices, newsletter, occasional grief-related information. And today I'm talking with Terry Wingham, founder of a Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation. Terry, we talked somewhat in the first section about just the grueling nature of the cancer experience, um, the treatment experience, I should say, that aspect of it. Um, But I wonder if you can kind of talk more about that and, and how people could help you and what they couldn't help you with, you know, um, Let's let's just talk a little more deeply about that now. Sure, absolutely. I think um, I think being told that you have cancer is one of the most terrifying moments in anybody's life. Um, you know, when I was when I was twenty years old, I was told that I was high risk for breast and ovarian cancer. So for ten years, I was screened very vigilantly. So I feel very blessed that I got access here in Canada to great screening. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't make it any less shocking when I got the call from the doctor to say, you know, I'm really sorry, but your tests have come back and you do have cancer. And I just remember the initial few hours feeling like a fog, like a terrible dream, and instantly feeling the mobilization of my friends and family and everybody in my life showing up in whatever way they could, sending me emails bringing over food, really helping uh, me to navigate. And I think that I went through this interesting roller coaster of emotion, but also this cycle in terms of how I interacted with the world. And I think everybody's journey is different, but for me, when I first got diagnosed, I sort of turned into this, this cancer cheerleader where I felt this necessary 
obligation to let everybody know that I was fine and to send out this mass email to all my friends and family and educate them on where I was at and what was going on and really um, not at all interacting with them at an emotional level, but being very strategic and businesslike. Um, and then, you know, I had a preliminary surgery and I was hopeful that I wouldn't need to have chemotherapy because I was really terrified of that. I was single and 30 at the time. I just, you know, was crushed with this idea that maybe, maybe I would never meet anybody who would want to date the bald, ugly cancer patient. Mm-hmm. And so I was struggling with all these other concerns that young adults who go through cancer have to face. And I went from being this peppy, machine-like <laughs> cancer patient who was totally organized to becoming really insular. And while I was going through chemo, there was only four or five people that saw me. I really uh, withdrew. Mm. And um, because I felt like when I'd I'd come from this career of recruiting and supporting other people and um, have this tendency to want to help people. And what I was finding when I was going through chemo is that I had to deal with other people's fears and I had to manage their emotions around my cancer. And I found that really hard. And so I just started to build up some walls. And so those walls kind of lasted through to my double mastectomy. And that period in my life was a really dark period. You know, I remember being so jealous that my friends would come over to my apartment and so happy that they would come and see me, but then so jealous that they got to leave. And I was stuck in my life and there was nowhere for me to go. Um. I remember days that felt like years and feeling so isolated even when I had people around me and feeling like I would never not feel that way, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's really interesting to be talking to you about that experience now because most days I don't think about the fact that I had cancer, but when I was going through it, it was the hardest thing that's ever happened to me. And then even harder was the knowledge that when the last surgery happened, I couldn't just bounce back. I couldn't, I didn't know how to be happy again. I didn't know how to feel like myself again. And so that was even more isolating because everybody expected me to. Everyone expected that peppy cancer cheerleader who had you know, solved problems and made things happen and taking control. Everybody thought she was coming back and yeah. I didn't I didn't know if she was. And so that piece was really difficult too. Yeah, it also, uh, something about the way that you said I had to take care of other people's feelings yeah. um, <laughs> makes, me, makes me imagine that actually you had kept seeming to them like that same person mm-hmm. because when you weren't feeling that way, you just weren't around anybody. Yeah. What, is that true? Yeah, I just, I, I didn't know how to be around people and not be my old self. Mm-hmm. And my old self really struggled with emotional boundaries. And I would take on other people's challenges and fears and anxieties and treat them as if they were my own. And that was one of the things that really terrified me when I thought about going back to my old job. Um, it had been such a great job and I had a fantastic boss and the company was so great to me when I was sick, but I just didn't trust myself to be able to go back into that environment and try to be different. I felt like I didn't want cancer to have meant 
nothing and that I would go back and I would get I would get sort of embroiled in other people's challenges and you know and I wouldn't be able to take care of myself anymore Mm -hmm. and so I just didn't trust myself quite frankly to be to be different in that same environment and and you took yourself very far out all the way to Africa (laughs) (laughs) I did (laughs) a radical solution huh it was. But I, and you know, I can see how that would kind of break the spell in a way. I mean, did. you still had a place for your giving, but not as a kind of patting everybody else's head, just, you know, as a, yeah. as a giving experience. I, yeah, and I, and I really spent a lot of time thinking when I was sick about what made me happy um, and what did I wish that I had more of in my life. And when I was sick, I really thought a lot about writing, which had been a passion of mine when I was young, and then I'd stopped writing entirely while I was working in a corporate world. And so I, while I was sick, I'd rediscovered this love of writing, and I'd started writing a book, and I started a blog, and, and then I rediscovered this love of travel and photography, and I felt like, you know, how amazing would it be? I usually know I'm onto something when I start a sentence with how cool would it be? <laughs> so like, how cool would it be to go to Africa and be able to write about it on the blog and be able to bring people with me and, yeah. and take photographs and experience it and give back and help other people have that experience through me. That got me really excited, especially after the months of not being able to go anywhere and being really uh, imprisoned in my apartment because of the, because of the treatment. It feels like, in a way, you're you're um, talking about the difference between uh, giving that nourishes us and giving that takes away from us. You know, there really are those two aspects of giving, and you kind of went for the pure giving experience that nourishes. That that's how it that's how it feels talking to you. Yeah, I, I think it really is. And I think the other thing that um, is only fair to be real about is that, you know, cancer and even these amazing experiences like a trip to Africa, it's not like you have this experience and you have a partial lobotomy and you change your personality and you right. never become like an, an overachieving, you know, <laughs> Well, obviously, huh? You know, like we we all have these tendencies uh, towards behavior, some that's really healthy for us and some that may or may not be. And to be able to, you know, sometimes have these moments where you think, oh, wow, how did I end up here? You know, I'm in in a completely different line of work doing something that I'm so passionate about, and yet I'm still feeling overwhelmed and stressed, and Mm -hmm. I'm taking on other people's challenges because I care too much and I, you know, and so, and so it's not like, you know, I had cancer and suddenly I became a perfect person and got it all figured out. I really didn't, but I would have these experiences like my time in Africa to come back to, or my time when I um, did a trip around the world in pursuit of the foundation and, 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 and remembered how happy I was when I was present and building connections in other countries or building connections at home and, and really doing those things that nourished me. And so once you know what that feels like, it's easier to come back to that. But, yeah. you know, we're all human. And <laughs> well, know, we all have, we all have, yeah, we all have an arc of each quality. 
and mm-hmm. the things you're good at, you're good at overdoing, don't you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's not absolutely different to be taking care of your friend's feelings while you're in treatment and be taking care of the little boy who needs to be cleaned up. It's mm-hmm. not a completely different thing. It's just uh, it's going too far to take care of your friend when you're the one that needs the caring. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's all so, balance, right? Yes. I think we're all in that state of trying to pay attention to, to where the balance point is. Mm-hmm. But I think you're also saying you now have a sense of what it feels like to be giving as opposed to that other thing. And I that's do. that's the place you you keep bringing yourself back to? Yeah, I, I now have a sense of what does it feel like to be filled with purpose and meaning and doing what you're meant to be doing, but that you're doing it with, you're not doing it at the expense of your own health and, and yourself. And and I, I know what it is to be off balance with that, and I know what it is to feel completely at peace with that. Um, and and that's very true with the work that I've done with building the foundation. And so when I talk about getting out of balance and feeling stressed and, you know, taking on other people's challenges again, it's hard not to when you're working with patients and survivors and you're supporting them and you and you're helping them have experiences, which I, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, it's you know, you, it's really hard to. Um, to be able to take a step back and say, what is nourishing to me right now? And maybe I can't give as much as I'd like to give to this person or the situation because I know what it feels like when I'm at balance and when I'm not. Whereas in my old life, when I was in the corporate world and I hadn't had cancer and I hadn't had to examine a lot of these emotions or to figure myself out, I didn't know that there was a difference. Mm-hmm. I just had one speed and it was go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and and most corporations, I don't know about your, yours, but most corporations are very happy with you having that viewpoint on your life. Absolutely. One it's speed and it's go. Validation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it makes more money, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. So they say. I'm not sure I believe that, though, because I think well-balanced people usually uh, work better. I but I may be alone in that viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But, yeah, I, I was definitely in an environment where the overachieving was celebrated. And so oh. now trying to find that, find that balance between giving and, um, and, and, and taking care of yourself because I know firsthand how being in really stressful environments can affect my body. And I know... I don't ever take my health for granted the way that I did before I got sick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine it's it's probably a bit of a wrinkle, too, when you're creating your own thing. If you're working for a corporation, you don't have to really worry that much about money. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a very stressful element of starting something new. That, it really is. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yeah. sure that factors in there somewhere. I think, yeah, I think that that's the, it's, it's trying to balance multiple things and, you know, trying to learn to trust your intuition about when to push and when to take a step back. And um, I don't miss the stresses of my old life, but when I had that stressful job, I had a great paycheck and 
I've been living off my savings for the last two and a half years to build a foundation. And so there has been a certain degree or a large degree of stress around that. But then I come back to this place of feeling really lucky that I had that great job and I saved a lot of money and I'm able to now build this dream. And, um, and, and I know that this period of growth won't last forever. You know, like anytime anybody starts something new, it takes, it takes three to five years to get it off the ground. Sure. And when you really believe as passionately in something as I do with the Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation, it's like, a, it's like my newborn baby, you know? And, you know, <laughs> you're losing sleep over it. Huh? It's hard. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you know, I have a three-year-old on my hands and it's not easy, um, but it's worth it. And you're getting to the point, I'm sure, where that gets reinforced by people appreciating what you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. We've we've done uh, two international programs with cancer survivors from across North America. Um, last we did one, we piloted it last year, and we just ran another program in India this year. And I've seen firsthand the impact it's had on our participants' lives, on the community projects that they've been serving, on their friends and family back home. Um, that gives me such hope that and faith that if I just keep going, the right opportunities will present themselves because the work is that important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've looked at... I Sometimes I regret this is radio because I... Um, look at so many things when I'm getting to know my guests that I can't show people. (laughs) But the pictures of the people you've taken on your trips and just the looks in their faces uh, when you are wherever you are, um, both, you know, there there were some pictures of, of people at the Taj Mahal that really struck me. There was such a wonder in people's faces, I felt. Mm -hmm. And then um, some of the video of people working with the kids, mm-hmm. just so joyful. There's so much joy. And I think it's one of my favorite, my, my favorite thing ever is to be running a program with cancer patients and survivors and seeing the wonder in their faces, helping them process some of the emotions around their cancer experience, seeing them feel joy. Yeah, many of them for the first time in a really long time. Really long time, yeah. And it's it's time for our second break. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> During the break, please be sure to go to the Good Grief, Grief Host page at Voice America and to find out more about Terry Wingham and a Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation. It's www.afreshchapter.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, host of Good Grief. And you can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. You can sign up for notifications, like me, follow me, all of those good things. Today I'm talking with Terry Wingham, founder of A Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation. And uh, this, at this time, I usually like to talk about hopes and dreams and future and I know you have so much going on in that way Um, Mm -hmm. can you share some of what's coming up for Fresh Chapter? Yeah I would love to Um, so a Fresh Chapter itself started the website itself started as a blog about my adventures after cancer and at the time I had no idea that there was a foundation in the making that I was going to go to Africa that I was going to travel the world that was all yet to be born as a dream, but um, a fresh chapter really is a platform that I would love to see become a resource for people of all walks of life that need to start fresh for any reason, and we've talked about this before, and that there's many reasons in our lives why or when the page shifts or the story Mm -hmm. shifts, and we can never go back to what was before. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to be able to help more people build bridges into what their future could look like. But in the short term, my focus really is on building the Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation. And this foundation was created, inspired um, by my trip to Africa, both the six weeks that I spent volunteering in the townships outside of Cape Town, as well as the bucket list experience I had when I got to travel to Zambia and see Victoria Falls for the first time, which had been a lifelong dream of mine and which had me in tears feeling such a sense of awe and wonder and feeling so grateful to be alive. And so it was really that 10 weeks combined in Africa that inspired the Fresh Chapter Alliance Foundation, where we do international volunteer trips and bucket list adventures for cancer patients and survivors. And so, as I mentioned, we piloted our program with uh, two weeks in New Delhi, India, in February of 2013. And we just got back from our most recent two-week program in India. And what I'm working on right now is laying the groundwork in order to be able to offer three programs in 2015. And we're planning to do programs in New Delhi, in Dharamsala, which is north of New Delhi, India, near where the Dalai Lama is, 
and we're looking to pilot our first program in Tanzania. And I'm really excited to be able to offer that programming to, you know, 36 to 40 more participants in 2015 and to scale to offer it to almost 100 in 2016. And the reason that I'm so excited about it is I feel that the program itself impacts so much. It has such a broader impact than just the 12 people that come on the program. Mm. We're, we're able to create a really powerful ripple impact in the world, which gets me really excited. Where, you know, patients and survivors who are seeking an opportunity to start fresh and they're looking for more possibility, purpose, and connection in their lives can apply to these programs and join us. And they get to meet like-minded people and build friendships that help to strengthen them in the uncertain times ahead. But then they also get to make an impact on the community. And then they get to find ways to make an impact on their family and communities back home. And we're also looking to pilot North American programs. Uh, We did a program in Los Angeles last fall. That was a two-day program, but looking to be able to pilot programs in San Francisco and New York and to continue to expand out from there so that we build community and connection for cancer patients and survivors, Mm -hmm. but we do it in a way that helps them find more purpose in their lives and experience adventures that they can look back on and feel really lucky and excited about. So there's lots going on, <laughs> but the, the biggest focus for me right now is, is gearing up to be able to run our three international programs next year. What really stood out to me in what you were just talking about is the idea of uh, giving service and having a bucket list adventure, mm-hmm. that, that those two, uh, to me, usually people do one or the other. But yeah. the idea of doing both together seems very beautiful to me. You know, right. that, that joy is a part of, of giving service in the world, too. Your own joy is a part of that. Absolutely. And finding things that, that um, light you on fire yes. uh, contributes as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I, think, I, I think if I was simply to say to people, you know, if you want to feel better after cancer, you should just volunteer more. Um, that would suddenly feel like another obligation and it can feel already like there's so much that you have to deal with when you're picking up the pieces of your life. But to be able to offer people an adventure and a sense of possibility, a sense of wonder in the world, I think helps to shift their perspectives at a really deep level because when you have an opportunity to do something that's for you and and something to feel really excited about and that you can talk to people about. And you no longer have to talk about your health all the time. You can talk about your upcoming trip to India or Africa. Your friends and family can get involved by following you on Facebook or blogging or whatever it is that you do to share your story. Mm-hmm. And then you can share that when you get home. It's much broader than volunteering, mm-hmm. but, the, but the joy that I see in our participants and that I saw in myself when you volunteer and you step outside of your comfort zone and you show up and create connections in other places, that lights you up in a way that helps you want to get more connected back home. But it wouldn't be the same unless we had this opportunity to make people's dreams come true. I mean, to be able to have a group of people who've been through hell, um, hell and back, to be able to take them to the Taj Mahal and see their faces when they watch the sunrise over the Taj 
or what we're planning in Africa has me so excited to be able to take people on safari into the Ngorongoro mm. crater in Tanzania where they're going to see zebras and, you know, wildebeests and elephants. And, you know, they're going to be able to have that moment where they look at their new friend and say, wow, we're alive. We made it. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're here. And if we can get here, what else can we do? And I think that sense of possibility is critical to me. It can't just be about the volunteering. And I, and I also want to be clear that it can't just be about poverty voyeurism or here we are, these North Americans, that we're going to go and save the world because mm. it's not what it is at all. We partner with an organization out of New York that's very focused on sustainable volunteering, and it's really about cross-cultural understanding and volunteering. And the other piece that's really important to me is that we find ways to connect into the cancer community in these countries so that we can talk about cancer at a global level. There are many people in many countries in the world that are dying of cancer because there's no access to screening or treatment. And they've never met people that have had cancer or there's secrecy and stigma around cancer. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's so important to have our participants be ambassadors of cancer in, in these other countries and to be able to share their stories and learn from the, the people that they volunteer with, but also for them to see cancer patients and survivors in a new light. And so I, my hope is that that ripple impact continues to grow and we get the funding that we need to keep, uh, keep the dream alive, you know, because that part gets me really excited. There's also a kind of a paradox or an irony because we were talking a minute ago, you were talking about not being, um, not everything being just about cancer, but there's some way that, that any support, um, being with a group of people who share something in common sort of, sort of lets things go beyond whatever you share. So everyone you're taking having had cancer, it's not the only subject. Absolutely. Um, and and also, I imagine it is a subject, a mutually supportive, uh, you know, there's nothing like talking to someone else who's been through something that's similar to what you've been through. Does that happen too? Do people end up talking about their experiences with cam- cancer on the trips? Yeah, they do. I mean, one of the things that I love is that our programs are open to all ages and all types of cancer, men and women, because I believe that connections are formed when you share things in common um, and not necessarily when you share the same disease. Mm-hmm. But what I love about our groups is that cancer is the is the foundation. So people have often said what they love about it is that they don't have to talk about cancer, but that they're with a group of people that gets it. Mm-hmm. And many of the people that our programs attract are people who wouldn't go to a traditional support group or haven't gone to a traditional support group because they don't feel comfortable going somewhere and having to quote unquote talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. But what I find is that most of our group exercises, because we do layer in some fresh chapter activities in and around the volunteering and the culture and the bucket list experiences. But most of them are more based on the emotions that people are faced with Mm post-cancer and helping them have room to process them. And a lot of those emotions are about much more than the disease. They're, They're often about challenges in relationships because of cancer or anger at people who haven't shown up for them in their lives the way they needed them to. And so our dialogue is really around the broader emotions. It's not around 
a laundry list of what was your treatment and what drugs did you take and, you know, my cancer was worse than your cancer kind of <laughs> thing that you sometimes see. Um, but it, it just helps them to have a starting point where they have that in common. And then what I find is that people will often talk about their experiences in groups of one or two. And maybe you're volunteering and you're on the drive to your placement and you have this chance to talk to somebody about your experience in a way that is healing for you, but that you don't have to share with the whole group. Um, and so it's not about cancer at all, but I find that it helps people to make sense of their cancer experience to a degree and also to feel like they're not alone in it. I mean, that I, I, can, I can imagine that in my head, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. being... Because two weeks doing something intense with people, you get close anyway. Absolutely. And then to have that in common, uh, I just imagine the places that that people become uh, feel safe enough to go broaden over time. Absolutely. And do people uh, are they basically coming from different geographic locations, and none of them know each other? That's or, correct. That's correct. So we so, have participants from across North America, um, and they don't know each other before they go, other than, you know, we create a, a private Facebook group, so they get to sort of talk to each other, and they're on the same emails. Um, but they largely Kind of like going their, away to college and, and uh, having emails with your suite mates or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but the support that they continue to give each other after the program is what is one of the reasons why it's so impactful. Um, because the reality is that not everybody is going to stay healthy. And, um, you know, we just we just lost our first participant from our first program. Mm-hmm. And it was really beautiful to see that the, the way that everybody rallied around Melissa when she was sick and people would take turns sending her cards. Some of us went to see her in New York. She still, and until she passed, she talked extensively about what that experience meant to her in India and the connection she built there and how the people she met in India got her in a way that some of the other people in her life couldn't possibly understand. And so one of the things that I just love about that two weeks together is that it allows people to get away from cancer and be present and have this amazing adventure, but then to build the, the connections to support each other when they come home. So you do find that people continue to um, be in touch long after the trips, huh? I do, and it, and it's like anything. In a group of 12, you're not going to connect the same way with everybody. Sure. Um, but you're probably going to find one or two, maybe more, uh, but one or two people that you feel like really get you and that you continue to keep in touch with and that you will see again. And I think that that part is really powerful, and, and that has nothing to do with a fresh chapter, really. It just has to do with us providing the location and the opportunity for those relationships to forge, and well, then people take that and, beyond. And I have to think, I don't know if you go on every trip, but somebody is creating a safe enough environment. So I want to end on that note, that I'm sure you're contributing to oh, the you. sense of safety that people feel so that that can happen. Thank you. Yeah, I've been I've been lucky to go on the two trips so far, and uh, I'll be on three next year, and then continuing to to grow our team of facilitators so that we That's can great. we can create those opportunities. 
Terry, I thank you so much for being with me. It was really a pleasure. Listeners, I hope you'll join me next week when Robert Pruitt will be here. Robert has spent 30 years creating and facilitating empowerment and leadership trainings, particularly with youth, and that came directly out of his experience with his father's death. Don't forget to find All Things Good Grief by visiting my host page at Voice America. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.